Do you want to feel energized? Do you want to feel calm? Do you want to feel strong? Welcome to Shoulders Down, a podcast about intuitive eating and living. I'm your host, Leah Kern, and I'm an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, you will learn to harness your body's innate wisdom to govern not just how you eat, but also how you live. It is my mission to help you heal your relationship with food and body so you can live your most aligned and fulfilling life. Welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here. Hello, and welcome back to Shoulders Down. I am recording this intro from my bed, which I have never done before. I'm feeling so tired today, so just trying to honor the need for comfiness and show up as I am. I just shared this um, with my Instagram community, but something I've really been working on is just trying to surrender to the reality that not every day I'm going to feel like so productive and get so much done. There's going to be days that are more restful and days that, you know, doing the bare minimum is more so like what's realistic. And in the last year, I've really been working on accepting that instead of like guilting myself and shaming myself for not doing more all the time. And I think this need for like always doing more really does tie into diet culture because diet culture is is like you're never eating healthy enough. You're never skinny enough. You're never working out enough. And I think what happens when we divest from all of that and just kind of say like, what if I was enough? What if I didn't have to do more, more, more. It's where when we start to take our power back because it's when diet culture can stop profiting off of us. Or in the case of, um, you know, productivity, it's when like I, f- I feel like more like consumerism is fueled by this need for like always doing more of like optimizing your productivity, buying the next thing to optimize, or I don't know, feeling like you're not doing enough and feeling guilty about that. And then like going to buy something to help you feel better because you feel guilty, something like this. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling, but it's on my mind. And so I'm sharing it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So today a friend, a new friend of mine named Rachel is on the podcast. Rachel and I met at um, a intuitive eating counselor meetup in Brooklyn. So we're both certified intuitive eating counselors and um, we just really hit it off at this meetup and ended up like walking home together. We live in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn and we were chatting and I asked her to be on the podcast. And so here we are. Rachel's a personal trainer. And so she really brings like a unique background to this work. She's not a dietitian, but she's a personal trainer and talks about kind of like the intersection of the personal training world and intuitive eating, which I think is a really valuable perspective. So before I formally introduce Rachel and we get into the episode, I just wanted to say a few a few announcements. Um, one is that I did not share an episode last week. Um, it had been a really busy time for me getting everything ready to launch my new course, The Return to the Waitlist, and it is now live. So if you are on the waitlist, make sure to check out the... Uh, there's a car alarm going off. I hope you can't hear that, but I'm, you probably can. <laughs> All right, we're going to power through. What can you do? So... <laughs> just like every time a car alarm goes off it's really like i always wonder like is this just gonna happen forever like what if no one stops it 
I don't know what to do. I'm like debating, stopping, recording. Let's see. Let me pause and see. Oh, it just went off. Okay, never mind. Uh, okay, so um, I didn't put out an episode. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with me through that. I didn't put out an episode last week because um, I was busy getting things ready for the course. So um, I just want to say again, in terms of like having grace with myself when I am not able to do it all. Sometimes there might be a Tuesday. I'm trying to surrender where there might be a Tuesday where an episode doesn't get edited and put up, and that's okay. So I'm just navigating, kind of changing season in my business, adding the course to my plate and these kind of things. So I, I really value transparency. So I just like to share with you what's going on. Um, so I missed you last week. I'm glad we're back this week and we will be back with regular episodes for the foreseeable future. And yeah, I'll try to come on and share if it's more of a busy season and weekly episodes might not be as realistic, but for now we are back. And, um, I mentioned this briefly, but if you were on the waitlist for the course, the return, make sure to check your email. The doors are only open to the waitlist right now, and you have the chance to use your exclusive waitlist only discount code. If you did not get a chance to apply, don't worry. Um, soon the doors will be open to the public, and I can't wait to share more with you about the course as it continues to unfold. Okay, so now to introduce Rachel and get into this week's episode. Rachel Bass has been a certified personal trainer for 15 years. She built a successful private business traveling to clients all over NYC until COVID hit and her business went virtual. Like many people during the beginning of the pandemic, Rachel found entertainment in scrolling social media. It was there that she learned about intuitive eating and instantly felt connected to the anti-diet messaging. After a lifetime of disordered eating, dieting, and struggling with body image, Rachel decided to invest in herself and work with an intuitive eating counselor. This experience led to a deep desire to help others transform their relationships with food and their body, and thus Rachel began her journey to become a certified intuitive eating counselor. Now Rachel runs a virtual business working with clients across the world to build trust and satisfaction in, in the body they have and to help them rewrite the narrative that happiness comes from pursuing a smaller body. When Rachel isn't working with clients, you can find her hanging out with her dog, traveling the world with her husband, or creating a song and dance on the spot. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. So excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yay. I'm excited to chat. And I feel like though we had that walk home the other day, (laughs) I am excited to hear about your story kind of like from A to Z in this more like sit down way. I always love just like hearing people's way into this work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let's just dive right in with you and your story. I'd love it if you could share in as much detail as you're comfortable with. What is your story with your relationship with food and body? Yeah, for sure. So growing up, I just remember always thinking that I was like bigger than my friends. And from a young age, I wanted to be an actor. So there was kind of that like in immediate pressure, right? Like growing up, I was born in the eighties, but growing up like in the nineties and the two thousands, right. With the magazine titles about like Jennifer Lopez, where's a size four and Jessica Simpson down to 105 pounds. And like all of those messages, right. Like just entering my brain, always thinking like I'm not small enough. And so I started having a disordered relationship with food, I would say, but it didn't stem from like, I didn't have a family that was saying you should lose weight, but I did have a mom who was always dieting herself. And I lived in a household where we didn't have cake, but we'd have angel food cake. We didn't have ice cream, but we'd have frozen yogurt, right? There was always like healthified 
things. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't directed at me, but I was witnessing a mom who was always trying to lose weight. And so then I went off to college and I was a theater major. And when it came time to graduate and to come to the big city for an acting career, it was kind of like, what am I going to do as a side job? And I met this woman and she was like, you should be a personal trainer because then you can create your own schedule. Like you'll have clients and you can go to your auditions. And I thought, great. And more what I heard is you'll be a personal trainer and you'll get thin, right? Like Mm -hmm. that was my mindset. If I get into personal training, I'll finally have the body that I want. And then as an actor, I'll be able to book these roles because what a world to enter into. But instead I became a personal trainer and now I had double the pressure. Now it was, I don't have the body of what I think a personal trainer should have. And I don't have the body of what an actor should have. So I worked um, at... Equinox, which some people may or may not know, but it's kind of like a high end gym. And there was like pressures there, you know, comparing myself to other trainers, feeling like do clients want to work with me? Like I don't look like Jillian Michaels, you know, this was like the era of the biggest loser. So I didn't have six pack abs and just, you know, always kind of in the back of my head feeling insecure around that. And so fast forward, I left the gym, started my own business as a personal trainer. And over time realized that I could be a successful trainer just for being me and for helping people. Um, But it didn't mean that I didn't have those insecurities. And I used to say to people when I met them, well, I know that I don't look like Jillian Michaels, but I really like to help my clients. I always threw in Jillian Michaels there, but I, I was just like, I really like to help people. That's why I'm into this. Not because I'm a gym rat, but because I can help people. Right. So the messaging, it was true, but the messaging still was taking like a stab at me <laughs> and like then, self-deprecating. Exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, the pandemic hit and like many people, I was scrolling on the internet and specifically on TikTok, And that is where I learned about intuitive eating. And so I learned about it from Sammy at fine food freedom. She's an incredible dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor and personality really on TikTok. And I started hearing her messaging and I was like, yeah, this makes sense to me. Like, why have I been dieting for all these years when I lose weight and I gain it back and I lose weight and I gain it back and it's so obsessive. So I decided to invest in myself and, um, take like work with her and then immediately started connecting to the program. And I was like, this is my calling. Like, I guess I should say along the way, Uh, just to back up on the acting stuff that eventually I fell into doing voiceover work because when you do voiceover, it doesn't matter what you look like. And so now I was kind of entering into this world of like, okay, I do voiceover. It doesn't matter what I look like. And now I can mend my relationship for me, but I ended up connecting so much with what intuitive eating is that I was like, this, this is actually my calling. I want to help people. I want people to feel better just like I do now in my relationship to my body and food is so much better that I like, I just knew it was my calling. And so I like signed up to be, go through the program and become a counselor. And here we are. Yeah, that is so awesome. I love your story because, you know, I've had a lot of like dietitians on who have like a similar story in that like they had disordered eating, they found intuitive eating, they felt freedom and peace and they wanted other people to experience it. I love your angle though, because it's like you were a participant, not as like you weren't, you didn't come into it as a dietitian. You just came into it as a person trying to heal your relationship with food and really connected to the work so much that it it was became the work that you wanted to do. I think that's so beautiful. And also at this kind of like critical moment in your kind of like career situation of like, okay, acting wasn't sound like seeming like it was 
the right fit, especially with the pressure on looks and how like the intuitive eating stuff came into your life at that moment. And then it became like, okay, this can be my next kind of like step forward. It's, it all seems so meant to be. Yes, exactly. And, and because I learned about intuitive eating from social media, there was kind of this knowledge of like, I'm going to go into this and I'm going to be able to use the creative side of me that has this background as an actor. And I can use that to create content, to be spreading the message even further and to work with like-minded people, right? Where we're all out there on social media, trying to like spread the word. Like you don't have to live like this anymore. Yeah. And (laughs) so being an actor is so helpful because it's like so much of social media is like performing. Like the stage is just the camera versus like a live audience, but you do have to have that comfortability, like, you know, doing the things in front yes. of the camera. Totally. Exactly. So it, it, it kind of felt like all the, a culmination of all these different avenues of life coming together for like what I really felt like I was meant to do. Yeah. So beautiful. I'd love to just learn a little bit more if you're comfortable with like, I don't know a whole lot about the acting world. I could imagine why there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way intuitively, like why that would, that would make sense. But I'm curious to hear you kind of expand on like, what was it about the acting world that kind of added fuel to the fire of, of your own disorder eating? So as I started auditioning it, I, and if I didn't book something, I instantly was like, it must be because I'm not skinny enough. I'm not small enough. Right. And this is going back like 15 years. So I would say the industry is slowly changing. Like my husband is a talent agent. So I know for a fact that like there is more diversity, both in like ethnic diversity, but also in body sizes. It's slow, but it is starting. Right. But back then, if I didn't get a part, it was much easier for me to blame my body than to like maybe blame my talent. Um, and it could have been a combination of both, but it's just a very toxic world. Like all the things that we see on the magazines, right. It's the same. That is what it is. It's just like a world of patriarchal decisions. I'm assuming of like what people should be able to see. And a character can only be played by, you know, oftentimes you get typecast, right. And so you might be thin and pretty and you're the ingenue, or you might be like a little quirky and then you can be like the best friend. And Mm. if you don't book either of those roles, you know, it's just like, well, let me beat myself up in some way, you know, like how can I tear myself down? And it was just, it was also stemming from childhood, right? Like I was, I was shorter than my friends. I always had like bigger legs and held my weight. Like I, I was just always curvier than everyone around me. And it was just like a judgment that you internalize. Really, I didn't, I don't have a story of others. Like no one said anything to me. People, I didn't internalize people coming at me. It was just mm-hmm. seeing the outer world and, and like literally comparing myself, knowing I don't look like these people that I want to be aligned with. So right. Well, like I said, just- then it was like a double whammy of the personal training. Cause there's just like an idea, like, yeah. right. Of what a personal trainer looks like. And people sometimes want to work with a trainer who they can aspire to look like. And I was like, oh, well, no one's going to be aspiring to look like me. So it it gave me so much self-doubt in the process of trying to like build something there. Cause I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not like worthy of being a coach to these people. Absolutely. And, and I think you're speaking to so many different ways that like our culture, like, and you're saying like, no one ever said anything, but it's a feeling. It's not like, it's more implicit. And and those are just as valid reasons to, to kind of like feel burned by the culture, because like, if it's a feeling that then it's still something you're experiencing. Um, And I I think about too, I think the other day when we were talking, we, we were talking about like, um, 
how at first you saw like not looking like Jillian Michaels as a personal trainer as like a negative thing, but it came to be something and correct me if this is wrong. I, I think I remember talking about this, but it, it came to be something where people were like, no, I actually like that. It's less intimidating. Is, is that what, what yes. you were sharing? You are correct. Yes. It's like, I started realizing the strength in being a, a coach in the personal training world. I'm going to use the word coach. Um, just came from connecting with people. Right. Mm-hmm. And being, being me and, and exactly some people were like, I don't want to work with the person who looks like that or the person who lives in the gym. Cause like, they were like, that's not going to be my lifestyle. They were just wanted someone who they felt comfortable with. And I started realizing like, that was my, my strength is that I can be me. I, I like connecting with people and I love encouraging people and making people feel good. Like to end a personal training session and have someone say, Oh, I feel so good. Thank you. That was so rewarding. Like, Oh, I just set someone off in their day to feel better because of the work I did with them. And don't get me wrong. Like I chat with my clients. I'm not the person I always told people up front. I'm not a drill sergeant, you know, like I'm here to nurture you and to get you through. And there's moments where I'm going to say like, keep going, you can do this. And there's other moments where I'm going to say, you're, you don't want to do anymore. You don't have to do anymore. Right. Like, especially when people aren't training for a specific goal of like a marathon or a powerlifting competition, right? Like when you're just going about your day trying to, cause many people in New York city, I can't speak for outside cause I live here, but many people just wanted that as a part of their week to know like, okay, I'm going to be held accountable for coming to this workout because I'm working with you. But the goals didn't have to be, um, weren't always weight loss. People did come in with that. Um, and now I consider myself an anti-diet personal trainer and I don't work with people for weight loss, but in, but back pre this intuitive eating journey, sure. I would help people. And it was just also added to that, like watching people's journeys of like maybe losing weight or being so obsessed with what they're eating, which it just, I was like fueling the fire really of like so much more disordered eating and so many more issues that people were having because, you know, you watch the scale go up and down and up and down. And I gave up the scale actually long before intuitive eating. Like that was a thing that I had learned. Like I'm putting my hand on fire. Every time I step on the scale, I'm, if it goes down, it's a good day. And if it goes up even point two, it's a bad day. And mm-hmm. re- eventually I realized that was not working for me to yeah. feel so bad. So watching myself then give that to clients, like wasn't the best feeling, but I didn't even know I could be like a anti-diet personal trainer. Right. I didn't know this existed until a few years ago. So it's much more aligned with me now to be able to say, I'm an anti-diet personal trainer. I don't work with people for weight loss. And if someone was to come to me and say they wanted weight loss, you know, we can talk about if, if I can still work with them or, you know, we can kind of go into like a little bit of intuitive eating chat or they can go work with someone else because everyone has body autonomy, right? And they have the right to want to work on that goal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that perspective so much. And I also love how like, like at first it was like, oh no, people won't want to work with me. That like little inner demon because of the way I look. And, and then that's kind of like the projection that everyone's trying to work out in order to achieve a certain body size. Yes. When in reality, people have all different goals. Like you said, just feeling better, you know, reducing anxiety or just yeah, getting stronger. Things. Totally. It's- I think that really reflects on how, like how, when we're in the disordered mindset, that's how we see the world. But in reality, it's like other people are not even thinking about those things sometimes. Totally. And even if someone worked with me, maybe they were an older client, you know, and they didn't come for weight loss. They they came for strength or flexibility, um, balance. It was still in the back of my mind, like, oh, are they embarrassed of me? Right. There was just like so much trauma to the situation yeah. of what I got into as a side job, (laughs) but it added so much anxiety to me. And, and it was also, 
these were like internal thoughts, right? Like I didn't express this to people. I didn't tell people in my world, like friends, family, I didn't tell them that that's how I was feeling. I would go out with like a really bubbly personality, but inside I was struggling. And I think that's also what's so interesting about learning about the anti-diet community is to know that like people in all body shapes and sizes and people who present really confident can be struggling on the inside. Cause that was me. I wasn't like outwardly. I mean, I might've been on a diet and then, you know, you talk about your diet and then you connect with people cause you're on a diet. But I think a lot of my struggles really were really internal. And when you, because of society's perception of eating disorders, disordered eating, and that always being pertained to a thin body. I never felt like there might be some sort of title on what I was choosing. Well, maybe not choosing, right. But like the avenues I was going down that were unhealthy because I didn't look the way of the perceived. Yeah. I've talked about this on the podcast before where like this idea that like eating disorders or disordered eating doesn't have a look. Anyone in any body size or shape could be struggling. And society thinks of it often as like, you have to be this emaciated person to struggle with disordered eating, which absolutely isn't true. Like it's, it can go across the spectrum. So that really makes sense in hearing that as like another piece that, uh, you know, another hurdle in validating your own struggles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear kind of about this moment where, you know, it's, it's COVID you're scrolling social media, you find Sammy, was she the first, yeah. the first way in? Yes. hundred okay. percent. So you find her account, you hear about intuitive eating for the first time. I'm curious to hear what that moment was like. Like, were you immediately like, Oh yes. Like this makes sense. Or was there initial resistance? No, immediately I connected with whatever it's like, I don't remember what that first piece of content was, but it was immediately like, yes, that makes sense. I'm following this person. And then consistently would see her content coming into my feed. And it was just all, I mean, she's a very funny person. So she can be very quirky in how she kind of attacks diet culture. I didn't even know diet culture was a term at that point. Right. I just was connecting to someone saying like, Hey, BMI, is bullshit. I don't know if I can swear, but of course, please swear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, or I I think the content I was really connecting on was this idea of like, you go on a diet, you lose weight and then you gain it back. And then you're, you're just always on this cycle, lose it, gain it back, lose it, gain it back. How, and kind of that question of like, how long are you going to keep living this lifestyle? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, how long am I going to live this lifestyle? Like, I wasn't currently on a diet. It was COVID. Like, I mean, it was the beginning of lockdown. I wasn't like actually in a diet in that moment, but it didn't matter. Like that was still resonating with me, right? Like I had done enough diets throughout my life to be like, oh yeah, this is a diet culture. I understand that is a thing. That's clearly what I've been living in. And now knowing that there's a world outside of it, I was just like mind blown. I connected with it instantly. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. It's always interesting to hear people's answer to that question because some people are like, no, I had a lot of resistance. I had a lot of questions. Um, and because it is so counterculture, but it sounds like for you, your lived experience confirmed right away that like, yeah, this makes sense based on the fact that like I've tried diets and they have only landed me, you know, back in the same place or in like a worse place. Yes. And I had like watched so many clients do it too, right? Like I would watch clients cause I have clients I've worked with for seven years. These are people who have been with me. Like it's not just uh, two months with me and then they're gone. I have watched people lose weight and gain it back, or I have watched people's bodies evolve in different ways. So I was just really connecting to when she would say things like, 
just because someone says you can eat like them and work out like them doesn't mean you're going to look like them. You have different genetics. And I was like, as a personal trainer, I feel like I should know that. But that's not really what we push out as personal trainers in the corporate world of trying to make money, right? Like the corporate world of being a personal trainer is is get uh, someone in and you're going to have a meeting with them. And the first thing you're going to do is weigh them mortifying. And then you're going to tell them their BMI. And then you're going to use that as a tool to convince them that they should work with you. I mean, I guess if someone came in and didn't immediately say they wanted to do weight loss, you might not push that, but, but you might, because it's like, you're supposed to be a tool like, Oh, well, your BMI is high. So you should work with a trainer so that you can get your BMI down. And I feel like I knew early on that BMI was total bullshit. So I was like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't feel good. We also had, um, please excuse me. I don't remember the actual term, but they were like to do someone's body fat. Yeah. You had those clippers, the calipers. Like the, pin- the calipers. Yeah. And you're, you're taught like one moment of one day, how to use those. It's like, I don't know if those are reliable, but either way, the people using them don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. So just these tools to tell someone like, Oh, you should lose a few pounds. Like they were never authentic goals. Like, you know what a goal is for someone, um, could be, squatting a hundred pounds or, you know, doing a push up or a pull up. These are tangible goals that a personal trainer should be able to work with you towards that. You can see your progress. Mm-hmm. If you start off day one and you can't even squat the bar, which weighs 45 pounds, then if you get to a hundred pounds, you're gonna be like, damn, I can really see how I've evolved, right? Like doing a pull up. That's really hard for women. If we can work our way to being able to do even just one pull up, that is a huge thing that you can be like, wow, I'm really proud of myself. That has nothing to do with a scale, has nothing to do with measuring tape, has nothing to do with progress pictures. These are like Mm -hmm. tangible things that you can see. When the measurements come in and someone's like, oh, I I lost an inch in my bust and an inch in my waist. And then when the next time you go and you're like, oh, well, you've gained an inch. It's like, that is such a negative feeling. But if you haven't worked out in a few months and so you lost some strength, hopefully that's not as a harsh reality. You're like, no, I haven't been doing those exercises. I understand why I lost that. Right. It's more objective and less like yeah. your, your less like morality infused and like your body is like a failing. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about kind of like the intersection of your training as a certified intuitive eating counselor and your training as a personal trainer. How do you approach working with personal training clients in a non-diet way now that you are like so rock solid and like, this is how I want to work with people? Yeah. So uh, most of my clients have been with me for a really long time. So again, when I work with the people who I've been with for a long time, I know that they are coming in. I know each one of them. If someone's older, we're really working on balance. We're working on strength. Someone who's younger, just oftentimes they just want to feel the sweat, right? They want to get their heart rate up. There's a feeling that comes with completing your workout. But if I was talking to someone new, I would talk about how do you want to feel today? So things I like to think about are like, do you want to feel energized? Do you want to feel calm? Do you want to feel strong? And then we can apply types of workouts to that. So if you want to feel strong, lifting heavy is a great way to feel strong. If you want to feel calm, then doing something more yoga-based, not a yoga instructor, but I'm just saying as far as how I would coach someone, is going to be more centering in that space. So asking people how you want to feel today is very different than, uh, you know, okay, get on the treadmill and run just because I'm telling you to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone was like, 
I really want to get my sweat on and feel my heart rate get up, then getting on the treadmill sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. I love this, how you consider, uh, and this is another thing we talked about briefly when, you know, that first time we met, how you consider what the client, the experience the client is going for. It's, it's very intuitive and it's, I think it's very much um, honors a person's internal experience in their body versus the diet culture energy with personal training of like an outside force being like, here's what you should do. That's, that's very much like outsourcing your decisions. Whereas it sounds like the way that you work with clients is empowering them to get the information from inside. What, what experience are you hoping to feel, um, which allows them to further cultivate that trust with themselves, which is the whole goal of the intuitive eating work. Yes. And I do want to say like, it doesn't mean that you can't work with a trainer towards some of those goals that you and I just talked about earlier. Like, again, I think it's great. And I work with this with my intuitive eating counseling clients is like, when you get to the movement, feel the difference. Like, do you have a goal? Because wanting to be able to do a push up is a great thing to work towards or wanting to be able to run a mile if that interests you. But if you wake up one day and you're like, I don't have an hour to work out, right? There's such an idea that we, and this is really hard, even for me, as an intuitive eating counselor and a personal trainer, it is still hard for me to get over the concept of working out for less than an hour because it's just so ingrained in society, right? It's like, if you go to the gym, classes are usually an hour. If you work with a trainer, it's an hour. So working with people to realize like, where are you at today? How much time do you have today? What can make your day feel better? So we're taking it, or if you have a goal, great. We can work towards a goal of, I think of like a competition, like, um, like a marathon, or if someone like really wanted to work towards uh, like a powerlifting competition, like those are goals and that's great. But if you're just someone who's like in my week to week, how do I want to feel? Then let's talk about it. Like, let's talk about the day that you're in. And most of my clients having worked with them for years, um, they just show up to the session without any heads up and they'll tell me, oh, my ankle hurts or, oh, I have a headache, you know? And so it's, it's kind of been on the fly for a while. Like we had Mm -hmm. to always go with the flow because meeting with me is part of their week, but like, maybe they're not up to the same type of workout they did last week. And so I got really good at creating things on the fly to work around their issues of the day. (laughs) Yeah. That's so helpful. Yeah. I love that. So for someone listening, who's like, how could I like, say you're coming from this very diet culture mentality with exercise of like, it has to be for X amount of time and has to be in a gym and I have to break a sweat what tips you have for redefining movement to be more of like what you're talking about, more intuitive? Well, first of all, I'd like to recommend a book and it is by someone named, I believe her name is pronounced Tally Rye. Have you heard of her? Oh yeah. On Instagram. Totally. Okay. So she has a whole book, basically just like the intuitive eating concept of having 10 principles. I think I don't know if hers is 10. It's been a while since I read it, but it's all about movement. So I would recommend that book if someone's really looking. But again, just in the, I like to wake up at the beginning of my day. This takes practice, of course, to implement this and ask myself, how do I want to feel today? So if I wake up feeling really stiff, a lot of my recently, because I write it down, a lot of me lately has been saying, I want to feel limber. So that doesn't mean I need to like go downstairs and lift in the gym. I could stretch. I can go for a walk. I mean, I always love walking, but I think asking how you want to feel is a great way to start with your day and then build it upon then how much time do you have? Do you have 15 minutes? Do you just have 10? Do you have 20? What can you do in the space that you're in if you don't have time to go to the gym? But 
perhaps it's a day where you're like, oh, I really want to feel connected and like energized by others, then maybe going to a class at the gym, if you like that, is a great opportunity or taking a class online, right? So it's always going back to how do I want to feel or like, what do I need for myself today? How can movement make me feel good today as opposed to, oh, I need to go to the gym for an hour because there's also so many things we do in life that are movement as opposed to exercise. I'm kind of putting that in quotes, but people think of them differently. But walking the dog, playing with your toddler, cleaning the house, these are forms of movement. You are using your body and remembering that is really important to understanding that like you're not a failure if you didn't go to the gym for an hour. No, yeah. you were busy doing other things running around all day. But if you're feeling like you haven't moved your body recently and it feels tight or you feel kind of like you're atrophying, you know, you're like losing muscle mass and you're just feeling kind of lethargic, then like, okay, what can we get up and do today? And maybe it is only 10 minutes. How did that feel? Just like the intuitive eating process, there's a lot of like, you have to take a moment and this takes practice to ask how you want to feel. And then you have to reflect on it because if you did 10 minutes and it felt great, then you might be like, actually, you know what? I think I do have another 10 minutes or maybe that 10 minutes was sufficient. And then the next day you're going to be more inclined to do another 10 minutes because you, you can find the 10 minutes in your day and you can build upon that. But if you don't take the one first step of asking yourself how you want to feel, and then the reflection afterwards, it's harder to kind of build upon, right? Like we have to keep checking in with ourselves. And then over time, it becomes more innate Mm -hmm. and you don't have to kind of think about it. It's just like that more automatic, like, oh, today I, I just know that I'm going to do well with state today. I just want to dance around my apartment. That's going to bring me joy. You know, if you're someone who likes to do that. So, um, it's good to have like a list, which I think even in the intuitive eating book, there might be, or in the workbook, right. Of different types of activities, figuring out what is it that you enjoy in a movement way. Yeah. I always think people underestimate walking. Walking is always great in diet culture, it might not be considered good enough, but in my world, walking is great. So making a list of things that you enjoy that are considered movement is a great place to start. So that then when you ask yourself, how do I want to feel today? You can bridge, kind of make a line to, oh, this is what's going to give me that feeling. I love that. It's like making a menu for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Menu. I love that. (laughs) That's what I think of. Like, what do I want today off the menu? These are such helpful tips. This idea of asking, how do I want to feel today? How much time do I have? All of these things really just bring up like meeting yourself where you're at and honoring the way that the experience that you're going for in your body versus again, versus like diet culture, which is like this outside pressure of like, it doesn't matter how you want to feel. It doesn't matter how much time you have. This is what you have to do. Like the energy is so much more compassionate and approachable versus like this strict and like punishing energy that comes with diet culture's form of movement. And there's also something to say for just having a day of rest, right? Like sometimes it's like, I'm tired and I don't want to move. And then you have to give yourself grace, right? When you're coming out of diet culture and be like, no, I literally needed to just take a nap. I needed to just lay down today. That is what my body needed today. And coming from a personal training world, I see lots of overtraining, right? Like people who are working out two hours a day or people who work out seven days a week and never stop. It's like, that's not good for your body either. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear the stories about people in CrossFit and this isn't to hate on CrossFit because if someone loves CrossFit, you do you. But to do such an intense workout seven days a week because the culture of it it's like where you get your community. Sometimes people miss what their body's telling them, which is I need rest. And that's why oftentimes people get injuries. And then when you get an injury, 
Now you can't do things. So it's like, we want to be protective of our body. We want to push it if that feels right, but also like respect it when it needs to be respected. Everyone's coming from different places in life. Again, I work with people up to 75 years old. So like they're in a very different place than someone who's 25 years old. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so much about how in diet culture exercise is like framed as a punishment and with intuitive movement, intuitive eating, it's framed as like, like a celebration of what your body can do. It's framed as like a really joyful thing. And I just think of like human brain wiring, like we are naturally wired to avoid pain and seek pleasure. So like if exercise is framed as a punishment, you're always going to be like fighting yourself. You're never really going to crave it because it's like comes with this like negative energy. Whereas if it's framed as like a joyful thing, a celebration of what your body can do, a thing that's going to help you feel good, it's framed as pleasure. And then you'll always kind of like naturally seek it out, you know, and it'll be more sustainable for your lifestyle. Totally. I agree. So this isn't a question I plan on asking you. I'm sorry for ambushing, but I just like have to ask in these group fitness situations where I know, I know your personal training, not group fitness, but like the recommendation that if someone's craving community, maybe they want to seek out group fitness. Do you have any tips for the person who's like, I just get so triggered. Like this group fitness person is screaming, like burn off that Turkey. I don't know. It was just Thanksgiving. Like that's what's on my brain. You know, these screaming, these like triggering diet comments. What, tips do you have for someone to navigate that kind of situation? That's such a great question. And I had a client recently, an intuitive eating client who was experiencing this. And so, well, one, I wouldn't return to that same teacher. (laughs) I mean, I guess if someone felt comfortable, if someone felt comfortable, I guess they could say to the teacher, like, hey, next time, like you should back off. But at the same time, you're not the only person there. And that might work for people. There are people who genuinely enjoy being yelled at. I mean, I don't think anyone should be critiqued, uh, like aesthetically. I don't know if there are coaches that do that. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but there are some people who like being yelled at like that. And unfortunately my answer is a little bit like it's a little trial and error. I do think there's something to say for the online world of finding things, right? Like usually it can be I think you can find coaches that have like YouTube videos and stuff that might not connect you in the way of um, a live community, but at least you kind of have like the group atmosphere virtually. Totally. Yeah. So I think it takes a little trial and error and it is a new thing for people to be promoting themselves as an anti-diet personal trainer or, you know, kind of having a more anti-diet message. So I think it is a little challenging, but also there's something to say for you don't, Finding community, even though I said, oh, go to the gym and do a class there, that could be playing basketball with friends or team sports, right? Like figuring out what works for you could be in a different way. It doesn't have to be in the gym. So it's hard to know because there's a million different group fitness people out there and they're probably going off of what they think people come to the gym for, which is Mm -hmm. weight loss. So it could be a little trial and error, but I would definitely recommend not going back to a scenario. Like, you know, when someone shows who they are, like take it Believe know them, that, yeah. <laughs> and be like, that didn't, that didn't work for me. And surrounding yourself to come back to the anti-diet community. Like, even if it's just coming, okay, you go to a class, you had a bad experience. Someone's the teacher's yelling at you and making you feel insecure. Can you come home and go onto social media and be in a safe place? Is your social media like toxic <laughs> and filled with people telling you to work out like them and eat like them and you'll look like them? Or are you in the anti-diet community and you can come back on and be receiving messages that are going to empower you? Mm-hmm. So 
there's not a great way to filter people. I don't, that I know of without kind of going to the class, but, um, I think how you handle it, which is really all we're doing is learning self-care tools. And so can you come from that and be able to kind of de-stress from that experience and surround yourself with information that's going to make you feel more positive and know that that class isn't going to work for right. you in the future or that yeah. teacher. Yeah. This idea that like, we can't control these things, but instead of letting it yeah. cause you to spiral and go back into diet culture, can you stay grounded in like being back, you know, getting support from the anti-diet community? I love that advice. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're currently loving teaching about satisfaction, the satisfaction yes. factor. I'd love to hear you share a little bit about um, what you're loving about satisfaction. Like how can, um, how can folks tune into their satisfaction? What are your favorite satisfaction talking points right now? So I think it's just such a cool experience to sit down with food and have a conversation with myself. I mean, people can literally do it out loud, but I have conversations with myself in my head. And so I like to tell people to start off with one, what do you want to be eating, right? Let's talk about like what actually interests you in this moment. Is it ice cream? Is it a salad? Is it Chinese food? Like, what is it that like, literally when you think about it, your mouth kind of starts watering. If you have the ability, right? This is always, you know, financially, can you afford it? Do you live in a place that you can access it? But what can you get in front of you right now that sounds the most satisfying? And then sitting down and taking that first bite and like tasting it and asking yourself, what am I tasting? You know, what is this texture? I like really love food texture. And I think people don't, necessarily think about it because in diet culture, it's about what you can't have. And if you do have something, now you have to feel guilty over it. Now you weren't supposed to, you went off course, you're a bad person. So now in the anti-diet world, like let's honor and celebrate the ability to have something that you're, you decided you wanted. That's so cool, but let's Mm -hmm. taste it and let's have a conversation with ourselves or the people around you about why you're enjoying that. Does it hit different parts of your tongue and Are you having a different experience as it hits different parts of your tongue? What does it feel like to swallow? These are things that people don't think about, um, or at least I did not think about. And this might sound strange, but in the past few months, I realized (laughs) I really... I really enjoy swallowing food, which I'm not saying I didn't swallow food before, but like it's less of a conscious act, right? It's just part of it. And so that is actually a sensation that we experience. So there's like smelling, tasting, you know, there's the visual appeal of it, like really experiencing our food. And then when you do that and you're present in your eating experience, you are much less likely to eat past a comfortable point of fullness. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, going back to diet culture for so many people, once they eat past comfortable fullness, again, now you're a failure, you're a bad person. Why did I do that? Diet starts tomorrow. I'm going to be good tomorrow. But when you are in tune with your body and you can experience that food that just gave you pleasure and then you just feel satisfied in it and it doesn't make your stomach feel overly full to a point of discomfort, you're like, oh, (laughs) this is really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Or I would say that I've witnessed that with my clients and I've witnessed that with myself. So I think it's really cool to learn how to have those conversations with yourself or how to, to ask people who you're enjoying a meal with, like, Hey, what do you like about this? Is it sour? Is it sweet? Is it bitter? Um, doughy texture, crunchy, gritty, smooth, gooey. Yeah. These are things, you know, temperatures. And um, also I'll say that 
sometimes people want something that's less nutrient dense. Great. You should have it. If you find that you're constantly eating things that are less nutrient dense and you're kind of like, oh, this is not a healthy way to live. Well, how can we add those things in? Let's not take away the thing that's going to be satisfying you. How can we have that and add something in that is more nutrient dense to be more well-rounded altogether, but you're still being satisfied because no one's telling you the amount that you can have. You can have as much as you want whenever you want. Let's just be present in the experience. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have some things that are more nutrient dense in there, which you and I, I'm sure know, like people crave when you're really in tune with your body. Exactly. Like we're going to add those in and uh, to go on a slight tangent, but I was in Italy, um, a couple months ago and it's Italy, it's pizza, it's pasta. We were in Tuscany. So it was, um, like cheese and meats and everything. And I swear to God by day four, I literally had a dream about a salad from Sweetgreen. And for people who don't know, Sweetgreen is just a place that makes salads. I like, that's the thing, because when you, when you're, when you're in tune with your body, you're like, oh, I do crave nutrient dense things. I can't just eat cheese and pizza all day long because it doesn't feel physically, mentally, and emotionally pleasant. It might taste good in a moment, but it's also like, I crave more diversity. Right. So I think all of that comes with the satisfaction factor, right? When you start realizing that you're present in your eating experience, then well, I don't know what my conclusion to that is, but <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. From what I'm hearing from you is satisfaction. Yes. It's about texture and, and flavor and, and all those things. And there's also a part of gentle nutrition that comes in with satisfaction where it tends to be satisfying to, um, eat in a way that feels good in your body. And part of that is, you know, not gravitating towards the a mix of the nutrient dense foods and the play foods. So there's so many different access points for satisfaction. I also like to think about, satisfaction can exist like beyond the plate, like the ambiance of the eating environment, you know, is there music on? Are you with someone? Is the house or the table that you're eating on clean? Maybe there's a candle lit, all these things. There's so many different ways to access satisfaction. And exactly like you said, when we're in diet culture, we're not thinking about, oh, how's this texture or taste and flavor? Because eating is so shameful that you just want to sleep, sweep it under the rug. You don't want to actually like be with the experience and question and, and get curious about how things feel. It's just like shove it down and wipe my hands clean to the crime because I shouldn't be eating in the first place. Right. Or it's like, I'm so hungry that I shoved it down so fast because right. I was so ravenous. I'm just so hungry. So now it's going in so fast. And to your point also, eating without distractions is a huge part of the journey. And I think that's really daunting for people to step away from the screens and the TV and the things that distract us from eating. But if you have those things, then it's less likely that you can have that dialogue with yourself, right? If you're Mm -hmm. like watching The Bachelor, (laughs) that'd be me. um, You're focused on what you're watching more so than the eating experience. So- For anyone who's listening to this, who might eat in front of the TV, which by the way, like I still do to this day, not all the time, but like it still happens. It's okay. It's just like, invite yourself to see what it feels like and be curious what it feels like to be present in your meal without any distractions. The TV will still be there. The show is still there. Absolutely. I have sort of like a, a really like specific way of approaching the whole eating with distractions thing. The way I see it is like, certainly a distraction makes it harder to have that dialogue and be in tune with your body. And at the same time, like sometimes distractions can be helpful in the sense that like, I think of two categories of distractions, one that like 
help you relax and one that stress you out. So like if you're watching the news and it's like really stressful, that can, you know, put your body activating sympathetic nervous system, put you in fight or flight. That can make it really hard to hear your body's cues because you're like on, you know, in fight or flight mode versus if you're watching like a favorite show that's like really calming and soothing for you or like the distraction is talking to a friend who's like really calming and soothing or something like that. That yeah. can activate parasympathetic nervous system, which can was is nicknamed the rest and digest system, which can be helpful to getting in tune with your body. So I have sort of an unconventional opinion in that, like, I think the di- kind of distraction really does matter. And some yeah. of them can actually be supportive. Yeah. Well, and I think in general, well, maybe not in general, I'm going to speak for myself. If I'm eating distracted, that is usually like a coping mechanism, right? Like there's something that I'm not really looking to face. And this is like an old pattern is to kind of eat. I mean, also it's how I grew up. We ate in front of the TV, but it doesn't have to be like a good or bad thing, right? We always have to give ourselves grace and just ask if I am eating in front of the TV and I eat past a comfortable fullness, then it's just a chance to ask myself, well, why did I get here? Is it Mm because I wasn't present because I'm watching TV or is something bothering me today? And like, maybe I needed to do like a deeper dive into like what's going on in my day and in my life. that's making me feel a certain way and food can be comforting. And that's not a bad thing. Like we, or I should say, I watch people be like, oh, like I binge ate or, oh, I am an emotional eater. And they say it with such negativity. And it's like, it doesn't have to be thought of as a bad thing. It's just, it is a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, we don't have to pathologize these things. So it just adds yeah. to the shame. Yeah, totally. Like it's just a thing and it's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. De-stigmatizing and like taking the morality out of things and just looking with that neutral kind of anthropologist voice. Yeah. Of just like, interesting. I'm doing this. Okay. Yeah. Noticing. Cool. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a question that, um, I love asking everyone who comes on the podcast, what is your biggest diet culture pet peeve or like one of them? <laughs> so I would say I really hate the whole quote, I feel fat, which is oftentimes in my experience said amongst friends, like it's a safe place. And then it it brings in your other, the person you're telling to join in with that. I feel fat too. And that usually leads to, I'm going to be better tomorrow, right? So we're back to the morality of like, who are we good or bad people based on the size of our body? And we're using fat as a feeling, which fat is not a feeling. And so I just, I think I dislike it so much because that is who I was. And that is Mm -hmm. who I was with my friends. That is what we did. It was like every Sunday, we've been terrible. We're so bad. I feel fat. I'm so disgusting. Like these things really bother me now because it's such a, when you get used to not speaking that way, it's such a subtle shift that really does impact you in a positive way. That's so negative to say those things. And then it just puts you in a negative spiral. You're not feeling good. Whereas if we just shift how we're speaking, literally how we're speaking, we can change how we're feeling. It's one thing to say, I feel fat. It's another thing to say, I'm upset something's bothering me. Yeah. That's something you can build upon. Feeling fat isn't a real, that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> fat is not a feeling. So it just pigeons or it just puts people kind of like into the space to be negative and to keep keep the negative with their friends, you know, this whole cycle. So totally. Yeah. And it also continues the stigma of like of fat being a bad thing when, 100%. when yep. it's you know, like being 
five foot six versus being five foot three. Like those are just neutral differences, you know, from a point of like body diversity exists in the human species. So um, yeah, that's definitely a pet peeve of mine too. And then this next question, what does intuition mean to you and how do you experience it? So we can start with what does intuition mean to you? I think it just means like trust in myself, kind of. I think of my intuition as my gut. So trusting myself, I would say, is the simplest answer. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And how do you experience it? So what I mean by this question is like, how do you know that like when you get information from your gut, like how does it communicate with you? That's a great question. You know, it's it's kind of like calm, right? Like at this point, I feel just like safe and calm in the message. Whereas if something wasn't like intuitive, I feel like there's more stress and anxiety around it. Mm -hmm. So I think over time, as you trust yourself, then you experience like more calmness. That would be my lived experience. I would say I've seen that in clients as well. Just you take out some anxiety from your existence in the moment and some less second guessing, right? So without the second guessing, it just becomes more innate. And then I think that's why it's hard to, put, I'm putting some quotes, feel because once something's innate, it's just existing, right? Yeah. Like it comes from within you. Yeah. I love that more calm. Like you, how do you experience it? You experience like a calmness of just like, yeah. Or on the contrary, an anxiety, which might be like, I'm going against my intuition in this moment. Yeah. I love that. I love that question because everyone really answers something different and it's, it's so personal, like how it manifests for you. Rachel, is there anything else we missed or anything else on your heart that you're feeling called to share with the people? I don't think so. I think this has been a great, I mean, I love talking about all things anti-diet culture, so I could probably talk to you forever, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I think this has been a great talk and I'm, I'm glad to put a little light on more of like the personal training and movement category of things that people don't always talk about Absolutely. in this world. Yeah. You have such a unique background in that, like you were in that world and came into the anti-diet world and like still are in the personal training world. But I love the way you describe like how you navigate within now this like new information that you have as an anti-diet um, certified intuitive eating counselor. It's so awesome to hear like that shift. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So where can people find you to stay connected if they want to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, I would love to have people come follow me. I put a lot of content up on TikTok. My handle is no longer dieting. So it becomes one word. Um, So it's no longer dieting on TikTok, on Instagram. And my website is no longer dieting.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was so wonderful chatting. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, if it inspired you, if you learned something, it would mean so much to me if you rated it and reviewed it. And if you feel called to, share it with someone who it might resonate with. You can find me on Instagram at leahkern.rd. You can also join my weekly newsletter by visiting leahkernrd.com. And I'll see you next week.